Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, the end of the international break, so we'll be rounding up that window. Uh, U.S. men's national team after the fog. People are pissed, Mossy, and they want to be heard. Pulisic, uh, MLS preview, uh, uh, Europe preview, World Cup, all sorts of stuff going on, my friend, and so much more. Uh, But first, joining me, as always, and I mentioned him, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this? We were recording on this Wednesday, September 28th in the year 2022. I'm doing well. Uh, back in the studio, coming off uh, what was a very eventful international break. For yes, us. it was. Um, are you watching anything, my friend? Uh, or- uh, got one thing. I watched a very good Netflix documentary on Club America. Ah, yes. I have seen it. I have not clicked on it yet. Was Quite it good? interesting. Yeah, I learned a lot about the history of Club America and Mexican football in general. Uh, so I recommend it. Six parts, and I enjoyed it. Okay, cool. I will I will check that. The only thing I saw is a, a movie that eh, came out a couple years ago called The Tender Bar, based on a memoir. Uh, stars Ben Affleck. George Clooney actually directed it. It's really good. It's a coming-of-age type of movie, and... Uh, was a nice little escape from uh, the craziness. But you mentioned it. it it's been a hell of a week. Um, for those that didn't, uh, in terms of the wrap-up and a real deep dive into a lot of the details and an interactive type of thing, we did a Spaces immediately following uh, the U.S. game yesterday and kind of a wrap-up of the window. We'll talk some of it uh, as we go through this pod, but do, it should be in your feed. Take a, take a listen to that, because I think it was interesting, not just the things that we were talking about, but more importantly, the interaction that we had with a lot of people out there that uh, were everything from uh, pissed to, all right, well, wait and see. That t- wasn't good. But in general, I think everybody was a little bit more concerned coming out of that window, and a lot of people had the opportunity to, uh, to voice that. So definitely check that out. Uh, Mossy, where do you want to start with, though, today? Uh, we are going to look at the U.S.'s uh, World Cup group stage opponents and what they did over this. Let's do that, break. yes, because everybody is playing. We are not the only ones, and I say we, the U.S., we are not the only ones who ha- are having some concerns out there. But uh, should we start over there with uh, our friends England, who will be our second game in the World Cup, for those that don't know, in that uh, Group B matchup? Correct. So in this window, they suffered a 1-0 defeat to Italy at the San Siro Raspadori with the only goal in that one. (laughs) And then they were down 2-0 to Germany at Wembley with 20 minutes left, looking like this was going to be a disastrous window. But then they exploded for three goals. Luke Shaw made it 2-1, Mason Mount 2-2, Harry Kane from the penalty spot 3-2, his 51st international goal, just two behind Rooney for the England record. Germany did come back and equalize with Havertz, so it ended 3-3. Uh, listening to the podcasts and reading some of the articles from the English media, uh, they were happy with this performance. Even the first half, they thought that England played very well, thought they were unlucky to be down 2-0. And then they loved the fight back in those last 20 minutes. So England, they felt like recaptured a little bit of their mojo here in this game. Do you feel that way? Uh, I do to a certain extent. And I, look, I think that everybody can use this window and look at it as a glass half full, a glass half empty. yes. Uh, you don't want to go down, although you're going down to a, a very good team and certainly an improved team in Germany. But I think at this point, you got to hang your hat on the resilience and the ability to to fight back. And that's good. That's a that's a that's a good thing. However, you still let in three goals. Uh, they weren't they weren't great. Some of the concerns that people have when it comes to England. And again, I say that because. While we have concerns when the U.S., there are a lot of teams out there that have had concerns, and this window did nothing to diminish them. As a matter of fact, in some cases, maybe it brought it to the surface. Uh, England still, I think, is concerned. And it's amazing because, as, as you know, Mossy, you know, this was kind of heady times over the last few years uh, under Southgate. And there are there's Southgate out type of talk right now. And we talk about Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? And there are... Uh, 
their success in the World Cup and the and the Euros, that is a distant memory now. And I think that there are some concerns, not necessarily relative to getting out of the group. I still think people look at England as the cream of the crop, but England obviously has much bigger fish to fry when it comes to a World Cup if they hope to ever have it actually come home. And this, I don't think, yes, once you get over the euphoria of, of coming back, you still tied. You should have lost this game. And it's against another elite team out there. And by the way, a huge rival. Uh, two interesting lineup discussions with England. Uh, the first is Harry Maguire. Uh, my feeling is that Gareth Southgate, it's become a pride thing. He doesn't want it to look like the media and fans bullied him, but they're dropping Maguire. But sometimes the peanut gallery is right, and I think he's going to have to you make think? that call. That's my watch going off here, Mossy. My watch does not agree with you at all. Uh, so the peanut gallery says that uh, Harry Maguire is not good enough to start on this England team and should not start in the team. It's probably the same peanut gallery that says, I don't know, Aaron Long is not good enough to start and shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be starting on there. Okay, I, I get it. I, I, you, we are still, for now, who knows what happens in the future, but we are still now dealing with human beings in the capacity of head coaches, managers now. And as long as we are, they are subject to the whims and the winds out there blowing. And when the peanut gallery is saying that, I, I understand why it's natural and human to dig your heels in and why, why should I react to what they say? And they don't know more than I, and I've seen this guy play time and time out. And I, was, I think there is a, an element of humans where you want to be proven right. And none of us that have ever had any success in anything, not just sports, haven't had at some point somebody championing, championing you when others say that's not what you should do. But if you're going to stand on that, from an, if you're the coach of England, it better work out because if not, people are there's going to be a lot of I told you so's. Uh, the second issue is Trent Alexander-Arnold not even on the bench against Germany. It sounds like he might not even make the World Cup squad. We know he's brilliant offensively, suspect defensively. How suspect has become a matter of debate. Um, there's a type of person that thinks Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of the top 15 best players in the world and Southgate is completely overthinking this. It's ludicrous that he <laughs> might not make the squad, that the good far outweighs the bad with him. Others say, no, we get it. Uh, keep in mind, right back is England's strongest position. You do have Reese James, Kyle Walker, Trippier. So it's not like it's going to be a bum playing there instead of Alexander-Arnold, whoever he goes with. Uh, but still, any thoughts on that situation? And, I mean, keep in mind, if everything kind of aligns, and we, we know it doesn't always happen, but that right back position is going to be important because theoretically you're going to have Christian Pulisic going up and down that left-hand side. So from, again, from an American perspective, going into the World Cup, all of these things are happening. I know, like I said, England doesn't necessarily concentrate on the U.S. game, but we will certainly do it maybe more so uh, than, than they. But they are, again, I think that I look at this and it points out that they are still an elite team, but they are fallible and... In certain instances, um, you know, they have Achilles heels. And whether it is Maguire, who I do think from a U.S. perspective, I would love nothing more <laughs> than to start because I don't think he is, uh, is that good. And so if Southgate is going to dig his heels in and die on that hill, all right, that's fine with us. <laughs> uh, Wales lost both games in this window, 2-1 away to Belgium and then 1-0 at home to Poland. Uh, Charlotte FC's Karol Swiderski with the winner for Poland in that one. Gareth Bale came off the bench against Belgium, started versus Poland. Um, listen, Wales, uh, they can be a tough nut to crack, and they have a player in Bale who on his day can do something incredible to win a game. But just overall, it's not an impressive team to me. It's not. Um, you know, in that first game, the 2 nothing loss to Belgium, uh, the key for more goal, it reminded me of uh, Kohler back in, what was it, uh, 2006, when the U.S. basically were out of the tournament after the first couple of minutes of the World Cup, uh, letting in a goal like that. And so whoever's, and who's no, who knows if Kiefer Moore is going to start, but if he does, the guy's 6'5". And so, again, thinking ahead, and by the way, this is the first game against the U.S., yeah, you got to be cognizant of his size and his uh, and his ability. But to your point, that is just you know one part of Wales. In totality, it's it's not a great team. It's not it doesn't mean that Wales can't beat the United States, but this is another opportunity right off the bat, as we've said time and time again, to to come right out of the gate and get three points uh, against a Wales team. And so, and they lost both of, both of their games too. So 
you know. And Sverdersky, how about Sverdersky, huh? Yeah. Uh, there's an MLS uh, player who, I mean, gets gets the goal for Poland, and I think there's a real good chance that he is on the plane uh, to Qatar in November. Uh, Iran, uh, very good on the field. They beat Uruguay 1-0, Taremi with the winner there, and then they drew Senegal 1-1, Sardar Azmoun with a goal in that one. Uh, these matches played against the backdrop of tumultuous times in Iran. Uh, if we've been watching the news, 22-year-old girl uh, detained by the morality police, died in custody. That's ignited protests all over the country. Everyone was wondering how the Iranian team was going to react, and they reacted very courageously, I thought. They wore these black jackets in a show of solidarity with the protesters. Uh, Sardar Azmoun posted on Instagram about it. Um, so, yeah, these are interesting times for that. Team. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that, first off, incredible courage. Uh, it's one thing to do it as an American player. Um, it's another thing to do it as an Iranian player, given the repercussions uh, to you, to your family, to your career, all of those different things. And so it takes incredible courage to do it. I, I like that they have kind of also collectively done something now, which which can take the focus off of the indiv individuals. Uh, that's uh, That's important. This is not the last of it that we are going to see. From a pure competitive side, uh, from a U.S. perspective, the more they are thinking about all these other things, the better the better off it is. And again, I am just completely taking it from a competitive uh, perspective. So we can we can rightfully clap and encourage and praise individuals and and uh, collective that brings to light something like this at their own personal risk. But then when the whistle blows. Uh, I want them thinking about other things when it comes up uh, against the uh, uh, against the U.S. But you said it's a successful window, uh, a win and a tie, absolutely. And of the teams in our group, Iran had the most successful uh, successful window. But still, of the two, four, six, uh, and then I guess eight games that were played, still only one one win out of all of them. So in totality, Group B did not have a great window. Listen, if the U.S plays in the World Cup the way they did in these last two games, they're not going to beat anybody. But I remain convinced that if the U.S. plays well at the World Cup, this is a group they should get out of. Yes. And there are absolutely two wins sitting there for you in the form of Iran and, uh, and Wales. And then you take your chances against uh, England. Uh, let's check in on Mexico, shall we? How's it going over there with uh, El Tri, our friends El Tri? They, they uh, unlike the U.S., they decided to have much more of a traditional send-off game. And when I say a send-off, I mean actually in the United States, where we know that they are incredibly popular. And when I say send-off, I mean uh, actual fans in a big environment and in a stadium that designed to kind of mirror a big crowd that you're going to see in the World Cup as opposed to the U.S. that decided to go to Europe and play in effectively a, a bubble and a ret what looked like retro pandemic era types of uh, scenarios. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, so a pretty drab 1-0 uh, win over Peru at the Rose Bowl. Chucky with a late goal. Nobody came out of that one feeling that great. They were 2-0 up on Colombia at the break at Levi. And then Colombia scores three unanswered in the second half. Two of them by Sinistera, who plays for uh, Jesse Marsh at Leeds United. So they lose 3-2. By the end of the game, the fans were booing. They poured beer on Tata. <laughs> there were fired Tata chants. Uh, so if it's any solace, U.S. fans, uh, Mexico is an absolute mess as well. <laughs> yeah, it was the best of times and the worst worst of times. And really, Mexico pay, played, what, one, two, three halves of soccer and then one good three good halves of soccer and then one horrible. And, you know, we talk so much. I said this on air the other day. We talk so much about first impressions. Right. But these are ultimately last impressions. And so obviously the U.S. didn't make a great last impression going into the World Cup, uh, which now by the time you're listening to this is you know, close to 50 days away. And Mexico had it in the palm of their hand to really kind of finish out and give your last impression on a real high and completely squandered it. Now, it's not as if Tata was not already under fire. And this confirms probably to a lot of people what this Mexico, uh, Mexico team is. And in the same way that I talk about Greg Berhalter, ultimately Tata Martino was hired to get them success in the World Cup. So while this is not a good look and this is not a good thing, Tata ultimately, it's not going to matter until, uh, until November. But they, they were up and they were cruising in, that, uh, in, in, in the game against, um, uh, who were they playing? Uh, Colombia. Yeah. And Colombia just said, well, 
we're going to flick a, flick a switch. And <laughs> it was just boom. And some really beautiful goals, by the way. Well, boom, boom, boom. Colombia is a team you have to keep reminding yourself is not at the right. World Cup. Exactly. <laughs> because you see so. Luis Diaz, Juan Cuadrado, James yep. Rodriguez, and seems like but a they, team that should be. But, they, you know, they weren't using it as an experimental team or anything right, right. like that. It was, uh, it was good. So don't worry, Tata. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> what else? Um, so to put a ribbon on the group stage of the UEFA Nations League, which we covered, uh, the four semifinalists are the Netherlands, Croatia, Italy, and Spain. Uh, the four teams relegated from uh, League A are England, Wales, Austria, and the Czech Republic. The Netherlands punched their ticket with a 1-0 win over Belgium. Virgil van Dijk with the winner there. Croatia 3-1 away to Austria. Luka Modric among the scores. And they had to win that game because in the other match in the group, Denmark beat France 2-0. I know you watched that game. You were texting me about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I was watching it and I, I was fascinated with this because so many people, and, and us included, have kind of pinpointed Denmark as one of those dark horses for the World Cup. And I think the balance of that team is one of the reasons. Uh, an undeniable talent. I mean, this is a 2-0 win. And I thought it was deserved over the World Cup champions. But the other game that you mentioned, the, the Netherlands-Belgium game, I am coming around to the fact that, you know, ne Netherlands, we know historically, has always been the bridesmaids. If I were to really look at a dark horse, as much as the Netherlands can be a dark horse, I would actually put them above Denmark. I like, I like both those teams, and I wouldn't want to face them if I was the U.S. or, or anybody else. But I think in that race for that dark horse, I think I'm going to put the Netherlands over, over Denmark. Either way, good teams. And unlike some of the teams that we've talked about before, they are coming into the World Cup flying. Barring injury, but they are coming in flying in terms of the results and the confidence that I would think they would bring in uh, going into their group play. Uh, Italy snatched a spot by beating Hungary 2-0 in Budapest. Raspadori again and Di Marco with the goals. And then Spain grabbed the spot late by beating Portugal 1-0 in Braga. Alvaro Morata with an 88th minute winner. Portugal only needed a draw in that game. Spain needed a win and they got it. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one? Cristiano wasn't happy. Um, and I think he's he and Portugal kind of have a, a right to be not hard done because they, it wasn't a refereeing thing or anything like that. I just think that the amount of opportunities and clear-cut opportunities that Portugal created, they absolutely could have won this game. And I don't think that in our assessment, again, looking forward to the World Cup, I don't think your assessment has changed necessarily of Portugal relative to, uh, to this game. Mine certainly hasn't. This is still a loaded Portuguese team and could very easily have scored multiple goals in this game. What was your take on Ronaldo's performance? I've seen some divergence of opinion. You know, we thought the national team would be his refuge from the troubles at United, but it seems like the debate has carried over. Some people think that he no longer fits that Portuguese team that well, and he might be holding them back a little bit by starting him up top. Well, this is, but this is, it doesn't matter what team now. If Ronaldo's playing for you, you have to adjust to him. And I'm not saying that in the past people haven't adjusted, but this version of Ronaldo makes it even more clear that you have to adjust to him. And you know that's, that's okay because he's still a, a player. He still had chances uh, uh, during the game, frustrated. Um, and I, and I, I, I think he also thought that this was going to be a warm cocoon coming back and that it, that it wasn't probably has to give him, <laughs> him some pause. But it doesn't preclude him and or Portugal making a run and him again starring. Uh, in League B, Serbia won 2-0 away to Norway, so they finished first in that group and got themselves promoted. Vlahovic and Mitrovic with the goals while Erlen Holland was held in check. A couple things there. I'm very nervous about that Serbia duo up top. That's Brazil's first game, November 24th. And, I mean, those two guys, Vlahovic and Mitrovic, they can give anybody trouble. So Are you throwing another one. dark horse in? Uh, I, I'm telling you, that Serbia team is very talented. On the flip side, Erlen Holland, it, it is disappointing. You want him to play high-profile international matches. Norway didn't qualify for the World Cup, didn't qualify for the last Euros. Getting promoted to League A of the Nations League would have at least been something, and they couldn't even do that. Uh, because really, how closely do we follow League B, if we're being honest, right, with the right, Nations League? Right. So, you know, it, it just early on here, it seems like it's kind of a George Best-type dynamic where the international game is just a totally irrelevant part of his story, unfortunately. We don't even get to watch him play games of import. It doesn't uh, mean he can't be great. It's just, no, of course, you yeah. know, by 
the, the mere fact of where you were born. <laughs> yeah. um, Scotland got the result they needed nil-nil against Ukraine, so they get promoted, and they're reveling in the fact that they're going to be in League A and England dropped down <laughs> to League B. Uh, Israel and Bosnia-Herzegovina, the other two teams, promoted uh, to League A. So that, that's the UEFA Nations League story. Well, I'm sure that uh, England and Wales from Doha will be all bent out of shape that uh, Scotland gets to go there. <laughs> and then let's hit on the... Big two South Americans. Uh, Who would that be, Mossy? Who uh, are you possibly talking about here? Brazil played a pair of games in France. Uh, first up in Le Havre, they beat Ghana 3 0. Uh, that's a city in the Normandy region where Bob Bradley uh, coached. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they beat uh, Tunisia 5 1 at the Parc de Prince in Paris. There's obviously a large Tunisian right. population. Yep. If you know about France's history in North Africa and all that. Uh, so this was actually a, quite a hostile environment for Brazil. They booed the national anthem. It got really ugly with some of the racist stuff. They threw a banana at Richarlison after he scored. But yeah, Thiago Silva's wife was in the stands and she was interviewed after and said, this was one of the most hostile atmospheres I've ever experienced. And it really gassed up the Tunisian players. They played very aggressively. This was an ill-tempered match, scuffles, red cards. Uh, Chichi was happy to get out of there without any major injuries, but Brazil took it 5-1, Rafinha with two goals. Yeah, and after all the screaming and yelling and ridiculousness and, and you know some horrible behavior like you mentioned, it was still Brazil without a problem. And Although the, the Tunisia goal made it 1-1, it was, I mean, the stadium went crazy. So it was, uh, it was definitely a Tunisian type of crowd. And then there was a recognition, okay, this is Brazil. <laughs> and they just took over. Some interesting goals, too. Yeah. Neymar had two assists in the Ghana game, had a goal from the penalty spot against Tunisia. He's up to 75. Pele's record is 77. Now, that's according to FIFA. As I've told you, the Brazilian Federation counts goals that Pele scored against club teams. So they have him at 95. And they've already made it clear that when Neymar gets to 78, there's not going to be any fanfare around it. They're not going to acknowledge it. Uh, while the rest of the world is celebrating it, uh, the Brazilian Federation is not going to make a big deal about it. But Pele scored those goals with the national team against club teams. Correct. Yeah, they don't count. They don't count. This is ridiculous. Oh One day we'll get into it further. Well, but okay, but, uh, but, but, but in general, uh, from a Brazilian standpoint, I mean, business as usual, right? Yeah. Uh, nothing has changed my mind in terms of the favorites to win the, win the World Cup. Um, did you, so did you glean anything from this window when it comes to Brazil? Um, well, against uh, Ghana, he started a very attack-minded lineup with uh, dropping Paqueta into that cent second central midfielder position alongside Casemiro and then starting a front four of Vinny on the left, Rafinha on the right, Neymar and Richarlison. Uh, I don't know if he'd have the courage to start a lineup like that against a quality team at the World Cup, but it's at least a tactical variation that he wanted to get a look at if in certain situations they're chasing a game, I guess. Is this uh, renaissance of Richarlison really going to happen and he's going to be your starting? <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, uh, three goals in this window, seven goals in Brazil's last six games. And yeah, I think if the World Cup started tomorrow, you know, there's a type of fan that uh, doesn't watch Brazil play uh, and bases all their opinions on what these guys are at club level and then parachutes in for the World Cup and is going to see Richarlison starting over Gabriel Jesus and being credulous but if you follow the team, I'm not saying I agree with it, but it, it, it is at least defensible and cogent given the way that all the lead up to the World Cup is gone. Because, yeah, he can't oh, stop no, scoring. Oh, no, Mossy. We here in the U.S. wouldn't know anything about uh, taking a club performance and blowing <laughs> it up for the national team. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, what about the uh, other friends down there, Argentina? Argentina. Your favorite to win the World yes, Cup, by the way. Uh, they keep rolling a, a pair of 3-0 wins here in the United States. That over... would be here in the United States, right, Mossy? That, yes. Uh, okay, that's, so that's what they opted for, was yes. to play some games in the U.S. First, Honduras 3-0, then Jamaica 3-0. Messi scored two goals in each of those games against Jamaica. He actually came off the bench and scored those two goals. He is up to 90 international goals, while Argentina's unbeaten run up to 35 games. Uh, the record is 37 that Italy set, so they could break that in their last uh, group game of the World Cup if they go unbeaten in the group stage. Uh, so, yeah, they are rolling as well. So, yeah, I, I continue to say I think South America's do. Uh, I, I think it's going to be either Brazil or Argentina winning this World Cup. It's kind of a toss-up which one it is. I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. I've picked Argentina, you picked Brazil. But I think we're generally on the same page that both these teams are looking really strong. All right, we'll take a quick break. But before I let you go, what was the de the deciding factor between the two? Obviously, they're, they're close and you, can, you can't go wrong either way. But was it the balance of Argentina? Yeah, I think the pieces fit more neatly into a starting 11. While Brazil have this awesome squad, but Chichi is still struggling to figure out what's quite the right combination from a starting 11 standpoint. So I think slight edge Argentina in that regard. 
Well, I mean, if anything should be clear after going through a, a lot of this is that, again, uh, it bears repeating. The U.S. is not the only ones with some problems and some concerns that have to be worked out in the next uh, in the next 50 days. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, preview the weekend when it comes to MLS action and then uh, over in Europe with some EPL and Bundesliga and Serie A action. So don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Uh, okay, let's take a look forward here because we are back at it when it comes to the club competitions, including Major League Soccer, which is coming to the end of the regular season. Again, those musical chairs continue to uh, to rotate. Some things have been kind of clarified when it comes to uh, teams making the playoffs and what it's going to going to look like. But there is still some some work to be done. Where do you want to start here, Mossy? Uh, let's start with uh, Friday night. Inter-Miami are away to Toronto. Inter-Miami right now, the last team above the playoff line in the East. They're level on points with Columbus, but ahead on the wins tiebreaker. And we could connect that to the Columbus game. They play on Saturday at home to the Red Bulls. So obviously both those games huge in terms of that jostling for a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, so Miami, <laughs> this is, as we said before, if they are able to see this out, and right now, even though they're tied in points with Columbus, they're still in the playoff position. It would, it would be a, a wonderful story for Miami, given the fact that we know they cheated and they were <laughs> put under restrictions. And so for, for what they were and what they are right now is great. But again, you know, Toronto, who they're not, they're not playing for anything right now. They're playing for next year, but a freedom can come for that. We've seen that with uh, Sporting KC and the way that they are playing right now. This, this is dangerous, and I, I, would not, I would not pick Miami over Toronto, despite how the direction that they are going in, which is actually good from a competitive standpoint because it puts everybody, again, back into that mix. Uh, the LA Galaxy will play host to RSL. The Galaxy won a game over this international break. They beat San Jose... Uh, three to two, they've surged up to fifth in the West, and all they need is a point from this game, and they would clinch a playoff spot. Well, the LA Galaxy, unlike Seattle, LA Galaxy, those games in hand, they found a way to ultimately get those points, which is why they, even though what I think has generally been looked at as a a poor and almost a failure of a season, you know, unless something goes really, really wrong, and don't put it past them they're they're sitting pretty when it comes uh, comes to the playoffs and both conferences we should say there is going to be some jockeying going on and as we come down to decision day both in terms of the places that teams are going to finish and whether you're going to be in the playoffs or not that's a good thing that's a good thing for us from a tv perspective and a good thing from a fan perspective especially a neutral uh, Minnesota right now, the last team above the playoff line in the west they're two points ahead of RSL and the loons away to San Jose on Saturday <sighs> I mean, San Jose, you never know what, you, what you're going to get. Uh, congratulations to uh, Reynoso, who I, uh, I saw the uh, Loons re-signed and one of the great creative players in the league and an inspired type of signing. And let's be honest, one of the reasons why Minnesota um, is you know, looking to go to uh, into the playoffs, although they're sitting in seventh place. And so they do need a performance. And I guess it's good that they are playing San Jose, who seem to have checked out right now and understandably so but you still have to find a way to get those uh those points uh then sunday portland hosts lafc portland fighting to get in the playoffs lafc battling for the supporter shield they're level on points with philadelphia ahead on the wins tiebreaker each team with two to play so lots going on in that match yeah we still every time that lafc plays especially with what's happened over the last let's say month and a half it's not that they're not a good team but they have kind of squandered some points over the last uh, month and a half, like I said. And now, as we sit here today, tied with Philadelphia for that race for uh, for Supporters Shield. And whoever comes up against LAFC, there is the postmortem where we look at, in this case, it would be Portland hosting, and we measure them relative to LAFC. And then it's, is LAFC able to sustain this? Portland's not an easy place to go in. But with what LAFC is and what, what Portland isn't, I still think that LAFC can come up and unfortunately dampen Portland's spirits uh, and especially their chances when it comes to the points that they need here at the end to get in. Keep in mind that Portland's at 46 points. 
Um, and they are in, in the playoffs right now. Salt Lake at 43, so they could certainly catch them. And the Seattle, I don't think that that ultimately is going to happen. A lot has to happen for Seattle to make it in. And by the way, depending on how results go this weekend, the West could be settled from a playoff standpoint. Obviously, still be jockeying for seating, yep. but we could know the seven teams in and and could be done and dusted this weekend, depending could, on how results go. That's not great. I mean, I don't want I, I don't want that to happen. I want there to be some drama. I mean, either way, there will be drama because people will be fighting for the opportunity to host uh, home playoffs. If everything was settled, would they have to rename Decision Day? If both conferences were it's, ever set going into the yeah, what's the <laughs> opposite Decision Made Day or you know whatever? I mean, <laughs> all right. Should we head over to uh, England? Yeah, because we have two Finally. massive games. You know, between the international break and the postponements uh, due to the Queen's passing, uh, you sort of have to get back into a Premier League frame of mind. Yeah, remember when Jesse little... Marsh was a thing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are two massive games this weekend that I think will help us get right back into it. Uh, North London Derby, Saturday morning, Arsenal hosting Tottenham. Arsenal atop the table. Tottenham just one point behind them. Uh, this should be a delicious one at the Emirates. Oh, cannot wait. Cannot wait. What is that an early game? Do we know when that, when that is? Uh, to... Unfortunately, I believe that is the 4.30 oh, a.m. kickoff time. I mean, I do so, it, and, and I do it on a consistent um, basis if it's worth it, and you just kind of roll over. But sometimes I'll fall back to sleep, and I'll wake up. It's at the 78th minute or something like uh, that. Sean Sullivan will be getting home from the club then. So Duck club, of course. Home. Of course. So he can right. inform us as to what's going on. But, yeah, I mean, scrumptious when it comes to Saturday, Arsenal uh, hosting Spurs, given what is what is going on. And, again... As as we said before, now that we're back into this mode, the optimism that Arsenal fans, I think, should have is not necessarily there. And they are they all I feel like they're always waiting for the shoe to drop. And who knows? Maybe this is that moment. You know, we're just talking in Brazil context about Jesus and Richarlison battling for the starting center forward spot for Brazil. They could both be starting this game. So that would be an interesting little subplot. Um uh, and then on Sunday, Manchester City hosts Manchester United in the Manchester Derby. Big test for Eric Ten Hag. Uh, I see that according to Sean Sullivan, Harry Maguire is out for this game. Is that supposed to be a, <laughs> a loss for United? <laughs> right. Good. All right, bad. Oh, my, oh my gosh, he's making it easy. Uh, he suffered a knock. I love that's my, yeah, one good. of my favorite expressions. He suffered a knock, as we know, versus uh, uh, versus Germany. John Stones. We still don't know exactly how long or what's what's going to happen, but that's. You know, that's a that's a big deal. And I think that this is in even in regular circumstances, this would be this would be a big game. Although we know over the last few years, there's been a, a big gulf between Man City and Manchester United. But this year, I think people are feeling more positive about Manchester United. And as they say, all, all bets are off when these two meet. Yeah, there's been a lot of debate about Lisandro Martinez. Is he too small to succeed in the Premier League? Uh, so far, he's played very well. He now comes up against Erlen Holland. That is a matchup where his size could be a problem. So we'll, we'll see how that. I mean, but it's not as if Erlen Holland hasn't made really big guys right. look bad too. That's so true. it might just be the reality that Erlen Holland is a is a force <laughs> that a human being, regardless of what his or her size, uh, cannot handle. Uh, in Germany, uh, Bayern Munich will host Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Bayern, remember, winless in their last four league games, but Leverkusen have only one win from seven. So. This should be an opportunity for Bayern Munich to get back in their winning ways here in the Bundesliga. Are you telling? Is this true? Bayern Munich is five points back and in fifth place with only 12 points. Is that to be believed, Mossy? Incredible. Oh, my goodness. I'm not worried. I don't think Bayern is either. Uh, and then uh, Union Berlin are in first place. Uh, they're away to Eintracht Frankfurt. God help Greg Berhalter. If Jordan <laughs> Pifak has a big game here, scores a you couple You know he is. You know he is. And look, that's, that's good for him. Ultimately, it's... Yeah, it makes it more difficult for Greg to justify his decisions, but you know, Greg's going to Greg and he's going to do whatever he feels is right. And ultimately, we've also said that while we have so much focus and, and attention on on the World Cup coming up, the circus is going to come and then it's going to leave. And you know, P Fox scoring goals, I'm happy for him individually, whether that translates to the US men's national team, who knows. But either way, this is this is a good thing and this is something that we as Americans can be proud of. So I hope it continues. A uh, big one in Italy. Inter will host Roma. That's uh, Mourinho facing his former club. He led Inter to a treble in 2010. He's a beloved figure there, so he'll probably get a big ovation at the San Siro, but then 
once the game kicks off, he'll want uh, his team, Roma, to collect all three points. That should be a entertaining affair. Is there another knock here in this game? Let's see. Marcelo <laughs> Brozovic is out with a, for extended period uh, with a knock. He picked up a knock. That is... That is a big knock then if it's extended period. Yeah, there's yeah. there's different you know levels of knockage. And then uh, we've been requested by Sean Sullivan to include this game, Juventus hosting Bologna. Evidently, Bologna is his team. That's the European it's club his, that he's adopted. It's his adopted team. He's very excited about it. Um, I'm not sure that this is a great game for them uh, because, uh, uh, you know, go ahead. Yeah, uh, when we left off before the international break, Allegri in all sorts of trouble. Remember, they lost to Monza. Um, so uh, he's under pressure. Um, so we'll see if they can bounce back here. Wesson McKinney and company. Uh, Juve could certainly use a W in this one. And uh, Rabio and Locatelli and who else? Alexandro are all back from injury. And so, you know, Weston, who I think it, I think has been and continues to be a starter. We even saw him starting when he was hurt. But it's more competition here. And you don't want to be sitting on the bench and not getting playing time leading up uh, leading up to the World Cup. So, we'll see. Anything else, Masi? La Dota, La Grasa, La Rosa. Do you know what that is? No, I don't know what Dota means. What's Dota? Uh, the learned one, the fat one, the red one. Those are Bologna's nicknames. They have the oldest university in Europe. They're the food capital of Italy, and I suspect that's why Sean Sullivan likes them so much. <laughs> and uh, they're very left-wing in their politics. So they're not very happy right now if you follow the news of what's going on in Italy. But nevertheless, uh, that's... Uh, wow, look at you. La dota, la grasa, la rosa. The savant, the savant comes through again. Can I add one more game? Yeah, of course. Uh, you always my, have one in your back pocket, yes. so go ahead. Mallorca will host Barcelona. Uh, the international break did a number in Barcelona. Memphis Depay, Frankie de Jong, Jules Conde, and Ronald Araujo all picked up injuries and couldn't miss extended time. Araujo could miss the World Cup, which would be a terrible blow for Uruguay. Um, and of course, Mallorca, owned by our buddy Stu Holden. Whenever they face one of the big boys, we love texting him during the game and sort of in, reveling in his agony as invariably <laughs> they lose to the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid. I mean, if you are an owner of Mallorca, you, you know going in what games you have a chance and what games you don't <laughs> have a chance. And I think you just take anything that you can get out of a game against, if you're Mallorca, a game against Barcelona or Real Madrid for that matter, or others for that matter, and you just take it, you know. If, if something good happens, then that's great. If it doesn't, I wasn't expecting it to happen. And I don't think Stu is uh, either. All right. Anything else? That's it. All right. So lots of games uh, as we return to the uh, the club scene after that international window. And lots of, lots of good games. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to get back into the uh, swing of things when it comes to club, whether it's domestic over here with Major League Soccer and so much that's going on or all the different leagues that we uh, discussed. All right. We'll take another quick break. And when we come back, ooh. It's time for Ask Alexi, and we have all sorts of questions on our voicemail. Don't go away. All right, Mossy, we are back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. If you want, you can use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. But I'll tell you what, Mossy, uh, over the last couple, a month, let's say, our uh, our State of the Union podcast hotline has been going great guns. My goodness, everybody call in. Everybody wants to be heard. And we're going to try to accommodate that here in this segment and even later on. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, as a reminder, State of the Union podcast hotline 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. And as I said, you can also use the uh, Ask Alexi hashtag out there on the, all the social media platforms. Again, our uh, handles out there are SOTU with Alexi. All right. So we have uh, some voicemails. Is that right, Mossy? Correct. All right. Who do we got first? Hi, David. Hi, um, Alexi. My name is Billy from Fontana, California. I was wondering if you guys thought maybe it would be better for Christian to follow in the footsteps of Landon and coming in playing in the MLS instead, because it seems like he needs to be playing for his confidence to be up. Uh, and not have to worry about anybody watching his back. And you know how here in the MLS, we do not have relegation. And I'm pretty sure that's something that also helped Landon a lot to get better, to get his confidence up. Uh, I'm not saying it might be a good thing for his career, but maybe a good thing for him just to come to the MLS maybe for a year or two, so he can constantly be playing and not have to worry about anybody fitting him on the bench. Uh, thank you guys, and I hope you guys answered my message. Bye. My question. Ooh. Ooh. Billy from California. Mossy, can you can you imagine the angst and the just sheer 
uh, craziness and outrage if Christian Pulisic decided in this moment that in order to get games, in order to play on a consistent basis, he were to return uh, on a you know loan type of situation. It's not going to happen, okay? And um, I don't think I don't think that he would necessarily want to do that at this point. Um, but let's just take it as a as a uh, an interesting hypothetical. Um, immediately, I think there would be those that would say that um, not only is this misguided, but you're actually, um, it's actually detrimental to what you're trying to do because of the way that people view the level of, of Major League Soccer. I mean, you just look at the way that people talk about Major League Soccer players that are on the national team right now and the way that they differentiate and divide. And, you know, some of it is fair and justified, but a lot of it isn't. And so if that ever were to happen, something like that were to happen, I know that people would go crazy. But would it be the worst thing in the world if Christian Pulisic is playing week in and week out in MLS as opposed to not playing or playing sporadically over in the EPL? Now, I think he would look at it as a as a huge step down, as a demotion type of thing. I also think that right now, not saying forever, Christian Pulisic thinks about himself in the world of soccer in a very different way that Landon Donovan had. And I think they're very two different, two very, very different types of cats. Um, very unique in the way that they think about things. But I think for Landon, it made sense at the moment that he did that as opposed to what's happening right now uh, with Christian Pulisic. I think it's it's much more likely going forward that for him, and, and I know we're talking about it in preparation for the World Cup. I think it's much more likely, let's just go beyond that, just for that next move, that it is within uh, Europe. I don't know. What do you think, Masi? Yeah, th- this would be a couple of moves away. I think he's a someone that has this ambition to succeed in Europe, which is why he went there at such a young age. And he views his problems right now as unique to Chelsea and feels like he could find yeah. another big club in Europe where he would play regularly. If he went somewhere else and had the same problems, there might reach a point in his mind where he says, the heck with it, I'm going to go back to Yeah, I mean, he's, he's soured on Chelsea, obviously, but I don't think he's necessarily soured on the EPL, let alone uh, on Europe. And, uh, and, and I think his ambition and his dream from a young age was to do it, which is why at a young age he went, he went over there. And I don't think just because he has seen what it is that he has been soured on the, uh, the entire thing. All right, next, uh, next uh, caller. Hey, guys, this is Rob from Dallas which is kind of ironic considering the players I want to talk about. But why is Berhalter favoring Pepe and Pereira over Sargent when one is struggling at club level and no disrespect to the MLS, but it's not Europe. And Sarge, on the other hand, is thriving. Although the championship isn't of the Premier League quality, it is an aggressive league. He basically threw him in the second half of the Japan game, already losing and basically said, here, go prove yourself. But he keeps playing the other two, hoping they score so he can justify picking them in the World Cup over Sargent. He didn't even give them a chance in the lackluster performance versus Saudi Arabia. So I'm just curious to hear your guys' opinions on that. All right, Rob from Dallas. Uh, So (laughs) way way to crap all over MLS. And again, there's a perfect example of uh, that perception that people have of Major League Soccer. And I'm not saying at, at times it's it's not uh, it's not true and there's not a reality to it. But okay, so when you're comparing Josh Sargent to Jesus Ferreira, they are completely different players. And so I think you can certainly justify picking Jesus Ferreira in any moment because you want that false nine. And we whether we agree with it or not, I think Greg Berhalter has married himself and even kind of propped up Jesus Ferreira. As we, as we said, as the incumbent, even though he plays it in a very different way than many of us, including Greg Berhalter, probably thought was going to happen when it came to that number nine position. So that, that difference, I think, is obvious to you, Robin, to, and to everybody that, that sees it. Uh, I, was, I was disappointed that we didn't see more of Josh Sargent in that, uh, in that second game. And as you mentioned, yes, we saw uh, Josh Sargent come in in that first game. I, 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 I don't quite agree with the way that you characterized him coming in. I mean, no matter what, somebody was going to start and somebody was going to come in. 
and you're going to come in relative to the scenario that is occurring in that moment in that game. So I don't think that it was a bridge too far or ridiculous to ask Josh Sargent to come in in that game and do something different that in this case, it was Jesus Ferreira who hadn't done a whole lot. So that, I don't think that was unfair to, uh, to Josh Sargent. And ultimately, every player is given opportunities, some more and some bigger than others. Soccer isn't fair. Life isn't fair. We, are, we all understand that. So you got to be able to take an opportunity as small as it may be with the craziest types of uh, a situation that it may be and make something out of it. That's what everybody has done. You can complain about the scenario and this and that, but it, it doesn't matter. Figure it out if you're Josh Sargent or anybody else. You know, the other thing is um, when it comes to Pepe, that was interesting. And I think if, if one thing that we learned is that that Pepe train long ago went off the tracks. And while Greg Berhalter has now done everything in his power to get it back on the tracks, because I do, I do think that he sees value in Pepe, maybe more so than a lot of others do. I just don't think that it is that it is happening. It might he might be a very different player a year from now, having made that move. But right now, it's just not happening. So while Jesus Ferrer, I think, is the starter. I think Josh Sargent, even with that limited time, um, I think maybe for me, well, for me, for sure, and maybe for Greg Berhalter, even though he didn't play him in the way that you wanted, Rob, would be the uh, would be the preference coming off of the bench because they are kind of the same in the way that they play the, uh, the position. And I'm not even getting into the, the guys that aren't here, but they are kind of the same in the way they play uh, the position. And the minutes count, in case you're curious. Obviously, there were 180 minutes to play with in this window. Ferreira, 75. Pepe, 60. Sergeant, 45. So, yeah. All right. So, I mean, we knew that they were all going to come in, and they knew where they were going to fight. And we also knew that, as I said, Greg favors Jesus right now. You can agree or disagree, but that's just the way that it is. Um, anything else, Mossy? Uh, yeah, we got one more. We do. We have one more. My goodness, we had so many people at the voice uh, voicemail. And look, if we didn't pick your voicemail, please don't get angry. But uh, these are the three that we picked. What's going on, guys? Um, Nathan Newmark here from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I just had a quick question here. Um, I wanted to ask about the captain armband for the upcoming World Cup for the United States. Um, obviously, it's going to be Pulisic wearing it. Um, I was just kind of curious, if it wasn't Pulisic, who else would be wearing the armband? And for Alexi, when you were growing up, who was the best captain you had? And when you were in the World Cup as well, who was wearing the armband when you were um, during those days? All right, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate everything you do. Let's go USA. All right. Goodbye. All right. Nathan from Chicago. All right. the, the captain's armband is such an interesting thing because it's just a piece of cloth. And yet, Putting it on your arm from an individual perspective changes the way that you look at yourself and the way that others look at you. Should it? No. And ideally, you want a team that's full of leaders and therefore captains, regardless if they have the band on. And that I have certainly been on teams like that. And I never, I never considered myself lesser uh, than somebody who was the captain. However, there was a level of respect that was just kind of baked into the system. And so I had, for example, a wonderful captain at times when it came to Tony Miola or uh, John Harks at different times. And again, ca different captains behave differently. As it, as it relates to this particular national team, you said it's going to be Christian Pulisic. Greg Berhalter has kind of switched it around over the last couple of years. Ultimately, I think you go with one person in the, uh, in the World Cup. You said it's going to be Christian Pulisic. I've said time and time again, I don't want Christian Pulisic to be the captain. I don't think that he is the type of personality that I want or that this team needs. All right? Doesn't mean he's not a leader. It doesn't mean that he can't say really, really important things. But the other part is, there's also going to be pressure on Christian Pulisic because he's Christian Pulisic, and I don't want to add any more. And sometimes you give a player the armband because it actually helps them and puts them in a different frame of mind. I don't think that's the case with Christian Pulisic, and I don't think, I don't think he needs it ultimately to perform. And when I look at someone like Tyler Adams, who I think is much better suited for, like I, I never would have been good at being a captain. Okay, I was too out there and, and, you know, way that I looked, the way that I acted 
that's not necessarily what you need. You need a steadying force. Doesn't mean you can't be loud. It doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, do things to motivate. Um, and it, but you need to be able to know, obviously, when to kick in the ass and when to pat on the back. And sometimes you develop that over time. I probably wasn't the best at, at doing that. So I can at least admit, uh, admit that. And you do want somebody at, at different moments to be able to breathe, to be able to not just relax themselves, but in doing so, relax everybody else. And ultimately, you want somebody who is able to say things in the simplest and the most direct way that result in a change and hopefully in a positive change. And I, so I look at someone like Tyler Adams. But again, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the training sessions. I'm not in the hotels. I don't know ultimately what that dynamic is. So this is all from the outside. What do you think, Austin? Uh, you know who's a great captain? Who's that? Tim Ream. Uh, <laughs> look at you. Oh, you never let me down. Uh, anyway, great, uh, great calls uh, from Billy and Nathan and from uh, um, Rob out there and everybody that left uh, messages uh, out there. I think, I think you know what, Mossy, I'm gonna we're gonna take a break here and we're gonna come back at the end of the show. And I think people that did leave messages, uh, some of them, will be pleasantly surprised at what, as what I'm about to do. All right, don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. And it is the end of the show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. I mentioned in the previous segment, our, uh, our State of the Union podcast hotline against 657-549-2297. It's just blowing up. People leaving messages left and right. And look, uh, our, our, our good producer, Sean, will tell you that when it comes to the data, Mossy, I know you love the data and the numbers. When we are talking about the national team, automatically numbers go up. The people that participate, the people that download, the people, all that kind of stuff when it, when it comes to the content that we put out there. And that's because nothing brings everybody together. And sometimes we are, not sometimes, we are tribal and you know we are separated when it comes to American soccer, but nothing brings people together more than the national team, women's national team, uh, men's national team. Because all of these different, uh, like I said, tribes that we have and, and groups that we are in, everybody comes together and can commiserate or celebrate when it comes, uh, when it comes to the national team. And that's a, you know, that's a good thing. But it also means that when we have windows like we just saw, you know, people get riled up and people get emotional and keep, people get passionate. And the reality is that after this window, there are a lot of people that are pissed. And that's, that's a good thing. Because it means that people care. It means that people are following. It means that people are concerned about November when we finally get back to the World Cup after missing out the last time around. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, is the sky falling? Or you know, talk me down here. You know, as I, as I said in, uh, in yesterday's, um, well, two days ago, our uh, spaces that we did. The sky is not falling. Is this a concern? Is, is there reason to be concerned after what we saw? Absolutely. I remain incredibly positive about this team because of the work that I have seen over the last couple of years and what this team is. While I was disappointed and at times angry by the lack of energy and the lack of spirit and from a Greg Berhalter perspective, the lack of clarity as to what to do, having thought that we had moved on and at times become, thankfully, more pragmatic in our approach, I was disappointed in that. However, I would have been more disappointed if I had never seen this team in, its, in a much better state. We have seen this team where individually and collectively they bring it. We have seen this team where individually and collectively they have changed and they have adapted and they have been flexible and they haven't been so rigid. So they can do it. They didn't do it in this window, and that it was the last window, that's not a good look, and that's where a lot of the anger uh, comes from. But I still, as I said, believe that this team can do things. I still believe that this team can come out of a group, not easily, but can come out of this group. And I think that, I think that there are a lot of people out there 
that do want to believe. And again, this isn't me being Pollyanna. This isn't me having blind faith or sticking my head in the sand. There are problems with this team. There are weaknesses. But as we mentioned this entire podcast, there's a lot of teams out there that have weaknesses and problems. Will they magically fix themselves come the World Cup? Well, you know what? The World Cup is magic. And magical things happen at the World Cup. Some of them you can anticipate and some of them you can't. And yes, I am hoping and yes, I'm being optimistic that some things will be fixed here in this next 50 days so that I can see that version, that best version of this team that at times has made me so proud over this last cycle. Greg Berhalter, as you know, is and this team ultimately is going to be judged by the World Cup. And so you can talk about trophies and win percentage and player development and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's going to be uh, the World Cup. And you hope that when that World Cup switch is flicked, that that energy and that spirit and that character and that personality, all the different things that we talk about are there. Having said that, as, and as I said before, a lot of people are angry and a lot of people want to vent. And so we want to give them that opportunity, Mossy. So I'm going to give you the last word here, and then I'm going to flip it and let you hear a number of callers that we didn't fit into Ask Alexi to finish this pod and let you have your say. Mossy, before we go, anything relative to uh, what we are talking about here? No, my big takeaway is the two positions that were question marks entering this window, center back and center forward. Uh, we did not get any answers there. In fact, I feel worse about those positions than I did entering this window. And listen, the U.S. can play all the pretty stuff they want in, in the middle of the park, but if they're not sorted in the two boxes, you're not going to win at the highest level. If you're shaky at the center back position, you don't have anybody that can put the ball in the back of the net up front. So I understand the fans' frustration right now because those are some major issues entering a World Cup. All right. Uh, with that, thank you so much again for tuning in. Uh, we will have another episode and multiple episodes uh, next week. Uh, enjoy all of, your, all of your soccer. And as I said, I'm going to leave you with our listeners, our viewers, but most importantly, our people that have called in and taken the time to leave messages. And in this case, rants, if you will, on our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. Take it away. And as always, size the day. Hi, guys. It's Joe Carpenter from the great city of Maslin in the great state of Ohio. Uh, my, I don't really have a question. It's more of a, a cry for help. Talk, talk me down. Talk us down. The sky is falling on this United States men's national team. This showing in Dusseldorf against Japan was pathetic. I didn't see any cohesion. I didn't see a plan. I, the, the thing that we've always been proud of, uh, proud about as fans is the tenacity and grit. I didn't see any of that. Uh, but I personally thought we had depth. I, I didn't get to see that with guys out like Wea, uh, Musa, uh, Pulisic not being in there. I thought we had guys that could fill in, and, and I just didn't see it. Like specifically Luca Della Torre, I didn't see much from him at all. So I, it, the whole focus has been on the number nine position. Is it going to be three guys? Is it going to be four? Is, is Jesus Ferreira's form in MLS going to translate to the international stage? Um, is, is, is Sargent going to be ready? Is, is Pepe too young? Is Pifat going to get a call, right? All this talk about the number nine position, we've completely forgotten that our back line is horrendous. That center back pairing is, is, is hard to watch. They're like running through sand and snowshoes. Those guys are so slow. And in the midfield, while we have talented players, I just don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know if it's if it's individually, it's not clicking, or if it's, it's Berhalter and the tactics. But, uh, guys, this is just looking bad. And a very important match. Yes, it's a friendly, but a very important match leading up to the World Cup. So um, talk me down. Tell, tell me why I'm wrong, because this is bad. Thanks, fellas. Hey, Alexi. Hey, David. This is Miguel Seville from Cavendish, Vermont. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Just got done watching the Japan versus USA friendly match. And I got to tell you, what an embarrassment. Um, eight years ago, we were embarrassed by not making the World Cup. And eight years later, this team does not look like a team that is ready for the World Cup. Uh, I blame... Their coach, Berhalter, for not getting them ready. We should have seen the starting 11 on the field ready to kill it. 
at the World Cup, and we saw a Division II college soccer team out there. Too many ridiculous, immature mistakes. There was a lack of ball control from the midfield and a, a lack of creativity in the offensive zone. Defense has been our crutch for the longest time and still looks to be that way. Quote Taylor Twelman from years ago, what are we doing? What are we doing? I blame U.S. soccer, the culture, um, Burhalter. Really, who did we beat? Who, who, who have we beaten? And, you know, yeah, we beat Mexico twice. And, but we should be beating all those CONCACAF teams. Anytime we venture outside of the CONCACAF, we play poorly. And it's a lack of preparation. I'm just about a lot of words. I mean, where do we go from here? Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Brad from Maryland, just calling with an unpopular opinion that if the World Cup started today and we were playing England, I think that Pulisic should not start. He should maybe come off the bench at best.